from Impact and Fix Spec, this is Founders Anonymous, the podcast that helps you move your business up a gear. I'm your host, Chris Lees. And I'm David Trott. Chris, how was your week? You know what? My week is going awesome. Yeah? Uh, I went to a spa with my wife because my kids... Uh, we're on a residential, which is a perfect excuse to go and disappear to a spa for a day. But I actually, so I had an epiphany in the steam room, as you do. It was very hot, steamy, and I feel like there was a shaman in there or something like that. I came up with this idea that a lot of businesses feel like they are stuck in first gear. And what I mean by that is it feels, and I feel this myself all of the time, that I am running and running and running and I'm on this little hamster wheel and no matter how much time and energy and effort I put into it, you still don't get very much forward traction or not as, no, not as much as you might expect for the amount of effort that you put in. And every time you feel like, right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get to the next gear, something happens and you fall back down again. and You end up just stuck, stuck in first gear yeah. uh, all of the time. Yeah, and I guess that the stuck in first gear thing is until you change gear, nothing else changes. Right. If, if you're in first gear, it doesn't matter how much more effort you put in, there's a limit to right. the speed you're going to go. There's a limit to what you can achieve. So, okay, so your steamy epiphany. So my, my steamy epiphany was, was that. And, and actually, I, I want to see if, there's a, if there are some common patterns out there for businesses that have escaped first gear. Right? What is it the things that they have done that's been successful that actually means that they can get out of first gear and move on to second gear? Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's just a case of like coming up with theories, trying to, to test those theories against people who have and, or have not escaped that first gear and see whether any of them stick. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this. All right. Because you've, sort of, you've hinted a couple of times in what you've just said that you almost feel like you are in first gear. Yep. And I would say that, that everyone's first gear is different, that what where you are in your business is someone else's third, fourth, or fifth gear, right? Okay. So that's, that's my starting point. So I would throw it back to you and say that if you think right back, your actual first gear moment, there will have been a point that you broke free of that to get to where you are now. Can you, can you like think back to you, what was, what was your first gear moment? What, what was that situation like when you first started? So it, I guess it was that bright-eyed optimism, right? It was, believe it or not, I, I, you know, so I spend most of my days now coding. And when I first started out in business, I didn't actually know all that much coding. I remember while I was doing my gardening leave for my last quote-unquote proper job, I was teaching myself CSS. And here I am, a web developer, <laughs> essentially. And, and so there was this bright-eyed optimism that says, I'm just going to do things a different way and I'm going to teach myself whatever skills I need to be able to, to achieve that, right? And I'm not, going to, I'm not going to get bogged down by the weekly status meetings or the management stuff and all that stuff is, is kind of taken away. I think my definition of first gear was trying to find the first sale and trying to be able to support that first sale, yep. right? Now, bear in mind, I needed to build a load of software that was good enough and complete enough that somebody actually wanted to pay me some serious money for it, yep. enough to pay my own wages and somebody else that I hired, right? So it's a high, 
barrier for me to get that very first sale. And, and so, you know, I spent a long time building a product myself and I found myself one day pitching to the London Stock Exchange. <laughs> and, and here I am a one man band working out of his spare room in his house writing software himself and you know the london stock exchange were taking me seriously which is kind of a bit crazy and, and you kind of get this thing where they say well how much is this and you throw out a number and your knee starts wobbling underneath the table <laughs> but at that at that point right that is that for me is kind of like a threshold is you actually make a sale a meaningful sale and then you have a business and then you kind of you catch up with yourself and say right i've got to support this i need to get absolutely serious about what if I go under a bus? How do I go on holiday? Which is mm. something that, you know, single <laughs> business owners struggle with, frankly, because there's nobody to replace them. So for me, that's probably, that, that's the, the first gear that I, that I had. Maybe I have gone past that right now, but, you know, hiring your first employee, that's a big first step, right? And you must have felt the same way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, my origin story is nowhere near as impressive as yours. But I, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of parallels. So when, when we first started, we, when I first started, I, I was talking to some guys about a project they were doing that because of the immense bureaucracy that they were drowning under, it just wasn't making the progress that it should have been. So I offered to help, and that offer of help turned into, right, well, we can engage you on this, but you need to be a limited company, and this is the budget and all that sort of stuff. So it's, Similarly, it was like making the first sale, but then suddenly the expectations were that I would create all this infrastructure around myself. So it wasn't just me taking money for work. It was a company that, that then had to be set up and the scope of work was quite wide. And from day one, knowing the money that was coming in, I tried to build a team around me. I got so many things wrong, but it, there, there was definitely this moment of shit, right, okay, I guess, I guess we're not playing anymore mm. so all the businesses that i've run before like when i've done music tuition and all that sort of stuff it's, it's just being sole trader stuff right yeah. and being a sole trader it's almost like you're playing at it yeah you can do something or you cannot do something or you yeah. can go and get a job and it doesn't matter the second you become a limited company so they go right okay well now as a director i have all these legal responsibilities and i've got to keep accounts and i've got to find an accountant and i've got to do all this sort of stuff so for me, it felt like my, my first gear was like jumping into a car that was already moving. You know, it's always great to go think about what you would do if you could go back and have your time again. But I, I, there were definite mistakes around building a team around me, figuring out what work that team should be doing. And I was very much in the mindset of, I need a team that can execute the work that we are now being paid to do, which is, totally understandable but there does come a point where that work ends and you're like oh, well now what yeah because all i've been doing is focusing on getting this stuff done unlike the first gear stuff just pedaling away and pedaling away but you know i wasn't just fighting against being in first gear i also didn't know which direction i was going in and that was a really tricky thing to try and figure out and i think i'm still figuring it out now what was your first hire what how did that work so it came about actually around the same time as I got this big deal. And, and exactly as you said, people expect that as soon as, as, soon as you, they pay you something meaningful, that you are a proper company and a proper, you're not a sole trader. You have an infrastructure and a support yep. system around you. That's the point at which the 
entrepreneur bet kicks in, right? That's the point where you actually have to put your own money on the line or go to a bank and borrow it, right? You know, but you have to put serious money down, not really knowing whether you're going to get this money back or when you're going to get it back, right? So for me, it was making that sale. That sale itself wasn't really enough for me to hire somebody else, but I knew that I had to because I couldn't support it otherwise. Right. So I probably made a loss on that very first sale, even though it's a huge customer. You know, you make a loss because that sets you up because it's not on your first customer that you necessarily earn any money. You have to earn two, three, four, five, depending on how much you're charging for whatever it is that you're, you're producing. Only at that point do you start to earn some sort of profit. Hmm. Right. And so that's that's the big bet is how do you get to the point of profitability? having actually spent a load of money just starting up in the first place. Yeah. And hiring the first person is that big first step. It's the, it's the big risky step, right? And a lot of people, if, you, if you're just an employee somewhere, you just take it for granted that money comes into your account every <laughs> single week, right? And, and that's just the way it is. And if that, that, that doesn't go up by a certain amount each year, or I don't get a bonus or you know, or, or the work becomes boring, I'm just, I'm off. I'm gonna go do something else. It's terrible, you put your heart and soul into this business. You try to treat these people really well and keep them kind of motivated and engaged. Pay them all that you can possibly pay them. Yeah. But then the minute they have a better opportunity, they go somewhere else. That really hurts the entrepreneur, right? <laughs> it really does. So in terms of, in terms of like when you hire people, so when you expand the team, what? What is your strategy at the moment for what they're there to do? Like how much of it is, is delivering on the work you have already and how much of it is business development? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question. And I am, I am forcing myself to bring in extra people to give me extra headroom that I've never had before, which, which again is a very, it's outside my comfort zone, right? I, I don't want to be paying for people that may not be 100% fully utilized mm. because I see that as an element of, of waste. But at the same time, I can't keep growing unless I have that overhead to grow into. And so, you know, I am hiring earlier than perhaps I, I need or, or, or want. The way I'm trying to mitigate that risk is not to hire full-time employees. I've become a big fan of trying to find part-time work, part-time workers. Paul, for example, my business development guy, is currently studying, so having a part-time role with us is mm -hmm. awesome for him. Rob Crabtree is running his own marketing agency, so it works really well for him as well to, to you know, work part-time for us. So part-time actually is, is sometimes overlooked as a good way of hiring people, but, but I've found good success with it. Yeah, and it reduces the risk, like it financially reduces the risk. Right. Somewhat. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess on one level, it also reduces the amount to which they potentially can buy in to the business and the sort of the, the sense of ownership they they feel. But on balance, I think the reward beats the risk. Well, I mean, so far I can I can just say we've had good experience with these guys, but I don't know that that's you know indicative. And it has its own challenges, but that flexibility is really important, especially over the past year. Yeah, like I. And I think that is the key for, for us to get into the next gear, is, is just figuring out what expertise we have, what expertise we're missing, and then genuinely trying to sit down and figure out what percentage of, of my time as, as the owner of the business is spent doing the work, mm. and what 
percentage should be spent building more work, building the business. We have, certainly over the past two years, I've definitely been in the former group of working on projects and neglecting building the business. Right. Um, and that's, that's my sort of moving up a gear challenge, is yeah. to spend more time working on the business, creating content that helps me build. Right, and I think I need to stop doing coding. And I've actually known that for a very long time, but it's very difficult for me to move away from it because of the sheer complexity of what we have. But you know, I know that in order to get up to the next gear myself, I need to move away from that. I need to be the person who's setting more of a strategy, getting the business in the door, perhaps being the figurehead for the business, as opposed to doing you know, low-level coding, which is what I spend a lot of my time doing today. And I guess now is a good time to say that you are launching a sub-career as an Instagram influencer. And that, <laughs> and that everyone should go and follow your newly minted Instagram account. Your handle is? Chris.lease.fixspec, F-I-X-S-P-E-C. I hope I've got that right now. Otherwise, it's like a Excellent completely... a wasted opportunity. Yeah, a wasted was. opportunity. Yeah, awesome. Great stuff. <laughs> so in terms of, right, the, the, this whole idea of we're stuck in first gear. As a business owner, we're in first gear. We need to figure out what is going to unlock second gear for us mm. what what do you think the trick is how do you how do you figure out what's what's making you stuck you know i i don't know the answer to that and i'm really hoping that we can start a conversation with the people who are listening to this podcast to to work that out right but so i have a theory and that's all it is at this point in time is a theory and the theory says that People do not naturally think about proceduralizing things that happen in their business, right? So for example, my wife recently joined the company and she's doing all of my books and records now. It takes a load of stuff off my plate and frees me up. It's, it wasn't worth my time to, to do it. Mm. It's the sort of task that you can kind of proceduralize, say there's a discrete piece of work, I'm gonna get it off my plate as a business owner to free me up to do other things. And I think we just need to be thinking about that more proceduralize and outsource um, stuff that is non-core to growing your business. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay, right, listeners, if you've got any ideas for how to move up a gear, if you want to tell us stuff that is holding you back in your business or ask any questions, email us at podcast at impactbiz.co.uk. All your submissions can remain anonymous. That's the idea of the show. Let us know your thoughts. Right, Chris, <laughs> you know what it's time for, don't you? <laughs> so, David, how's your week been then? <laughs> it's time for things that have pissed me off this week. <laughs> and what has pissed you off this week, David? Right, so this is, this is really specific. So my partner and my daughter have both had to isolate this week because of COVID. Okay. Uh, so both have fortunately come back with negative tests. Mm -hmm. which is great, mm -hmm. brilliant. Let's get that bit out of the way. Their health and well-being is the most important thing. However, it has meant that we've all been stuck at home a few days this week. And one of the big problems with, with COVID isolation at the moment is, well, just in general, is that you're not allowed to leave the house. Right. Okay, so you can't go down to the park, you can't go to the shops, I can't go and get an ice cream because it's beautiful weather outside. You're stuck indoors. You can yeah. go in the garden and that's it. So you end up going a bit stir-crazy. So in my biggest parenting fail to date, I allowed my daughter free reign of YouTube 
Oh dear. Right. Okay. But she discovered a YouTube channel that I have spent 40 years blissfully unaware of. Okay. It's this guy called Blippy. Blippy. Okay. And she absolutely adores him. She is like, I think he is effectively her new dad. And this guy is an American guy and he set up this YouTube channel where he he films himself in soft play centres around America playing with things like a massive middle-aged child. Okay. And the reason it's pissed me off isn't because of the grotesque spectacle of seeing a middle-aged man diving into a ball pit. It, talking like a three-year-old. As grotesque as that is, that's not the bit that's pissed me is, off. Is it because it competes with your own YouTube channel on the same topic? <laughs> it's because he's stolen my idea. <laughs> right. it, no, it's because, it's because he is incredibly successful with it. Okay. Right, so I can't... I, I just sat there for a long time thinking about, thinking about all the time I've spent working on client briefs, coming up with creative angles for them to execute that have gone into like, like just extraordinary detail in research and customer research and market research and then this guy is just talking like a kid and like i don't begrudge his success but like it's just <laughs> i think the combination of me finding it so unpleasant to watch and how successful it is it's yeah. like tipping point on itv right it's just an appalling game show mm. but it's really successful Mm. And that annoys me. That's it. That's the kernel of what annoys me. Bad things that are successful. That's that's the kernel of the gripe. If I take the kernel, which is bad things that are inexplicably successful, I don't have to talk about Blippi. I can talk about ITV2 or Paddy McGuinness, right? Mm. They're, they're just bad things that are inexplicably successful. Mm. And that, as a concept, just in general, just pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, there's no real comeback to that. There's no, no real comeback. I don't. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Okay. Can I ask a question though yeah. about about COVID? Just a similar thing. So you've had the unpleasant experience now of of sticking a swab up your daughter's nose multiple times. Yeah. Which I I desperately commiserate with. That's going to be a very scaring experience for both of you, frankly. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously my partner's going to be listening to this and will jump up and down with rage if it sounds like I'm claiming that I was the one that swabbed her because I wasn't. But you know what? I I what's more what's more traumatic as a parent? Is it sticking a swab up a toddler's nose or is it being the one that that restrains their arms while yeah, someone else yeah, sticks bad. a swab at their nose. Like the look of betrayal on her face was immense. And I don't, like the only time she managed to forgive me is when we went home and started watching Blippi. Yeah, it's like it's just a deeply unpleasant process right. for everyone. Great. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up there, Chris. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. Yeah, I'll see you next week. And if there's anybody that we can help get out of first gear, get in touch podcast at impactbiz.co.uk that's the one all right great stuff thanks <laughs>that's all for this week thanks for listening don't forget to subscribe on itunes spotify or wherever you get your pods and we'll be back next week with another episode founders anonymous is an impact and fix spec production 